learn silo. That's like, hey, I'm part of the family. Like, hey, I'm part of the crew. Hey, I've done something to justify myself to be, you know, part of this thing that's going on here, right? And, and they call it, what do they call it? They call it making their mark, right? And so the story, the good dinosaur treks with kind of the runt of the family, kind of the one that, that keeps messing up, that doesn't do things right. He's not the strongest. He's not the smartest. He's not the quickest. He, he just, he can't get it to kind of come together for him, right? And so he sets off on this trek due to different you know, circumstances. He sets off on this trek to sort of make his mark, right? And so in this journey, he ends up, you know, fighting raptors and overcoming these great storms and obstacles and pterodactyls and all this just crazy stuff, meets all kinds of crazy characters. And in the end, he finally makes it back home, thus earning his, you know, opportunity to make his mark, to finally put his paw print on the corn silo. And it's like, all right, you've done it. You know, you've, you've, you've done enough to put your paw print there. You are part of the family. You're part of the crew. And it's a cool movie, right? It's a cool idea, but, but here's where the problem comes in. So many of us, so many of us who are, who are seeking relationship with God and, and going to church and all this stuff, so many times people get it twisted thinking that they have to earn a relationship with God, Right? So many people feel like they have to go on a trek like Arlo and they have to go and they have to do this and do that and, and know this and know that and achieve this and achieve that or wear this and wear that and they have to do all these different things so that they can finally achieve and get this, this enough clout built up in and of themselves to put their paw print on the silo and say, I'm part of the family of God. I've finally done enough that I can receive his forgiveness. I've finally done enough that I can experience his love and his grace and his acceptance. I'm finally there, right? So many people struggle with this. We feel like Arlo, like we have to prove ourselves to earn God. See, I remember my first encounter with this, with this buzzword called grace, I remember my first encounter with this buzzword called grace because, to be honest with you, I was raised in a mentality that was, you know, a strict, straight and narrow line of do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, and that's what it meant to follow Jesus, right? You do this, you're cool. You do that, you're not cool. You do this, you go to heaven. You do that, you go to hell, right? And I was raised with this kind of mentality of this is what it is to follow Jesus, and it became sort of like marching orders and marching steps, right? And I remember my first experience with this concept and idea of grace, and it rocked my world. And it seems really insignificant, it seems really basic, it seems really like, really dude? Like it had that kind of impact on you? But it did, so I went to this church, right? And when I went to the church, everything started off normal. I was like, okay, I get it, I've been in church, I know how this goes, and then it happened. The guy got up to give announcements and take offering, and this guy, was wearing shorts, shorts, on stage in front of everybody. What? You can do that? Right? It was like my mind was blown. I could not believe. And the pastor was in the front. The pastor was there. It's not like, oh, sweet, the pastor's on vacation. I'm wearing shorts. I'll show him. The pastor knew about it. And my mind was like, whoa, 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 reverse, Re beep, 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 reverse, whoa. What is going on here? My man is up there in a fleece pullover, cargo khaki shorts, and Birkenstocks. I remember this very vividly. This was a huge moment in my, in my life and in my theological journey. 
I was like, what is this guy doing? You can do that? And to most, it was just like, oh yeah, whatever. But to me, this like painted a whole new picture of theology and who God was because, you know, I grew up marching orders, right? Marching orders. And I was able to play the drums at my church, but only on Wednesday nights because I was too old to play. I was too young to play on Sunday morning. That was reserved for the big dogs, even though I was twice as good. Self-proclaimed twice as good. Maybe I wasn't, but still. I can play on Wednesday nights, but if you were to set foot on this platform, listen, you better have a button-down shirt. You better have some slacks. You better have some nice spit-shine shoes. If you don't, you ain't playing, right? And I know it's not about clothes, and I know it's not about dress, but there's a deeper theology that that's representing. And so when I saw this, 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 this grace taking place in front of me of someone in shorts and, and, and sandals and, and a fleece pullover, I was, my mind was absolutely blown. It made me kind of revisit this whole concept of, well, wait a second, you mean, you mean that's okay? Like, like wait, whoa, I mean, I know it's okay to wear it in the parking lot, but as soon as you enter the church, I figured they'd catch fire or something, right? What's this all about? And so it kind of, it was my first experience as a young person of this concept and idea of grace. And yeah, it was just clothes and it's just whatever, but it was something bigger and deeper for me. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about this idea of grace and faith and a relationship with Jesus uh, all, all through kind of the lens of this trek that Arlo made, that he felt like he had to self-justify himself to be part of the family, that he had to do certain things to be part of the crew, that he had to accomplish certain feats so that he could be good enough to be part of the family. And so I want to kind of dismember that theology and dis discredit that line of thinking when it comes to following Jesus and when it comes to being part of the body of Christ, because that's not what it's about whatsoever. It's about grace through faith. And so I want to talk about that for a few minutes this morning. So let's pray and then we'll jump into it. God, I thank you so much for the awesome time of worship that we get to spend together. I thank you for the talents and abilities of the people who lead us. And it's just so powerful I thank you for drawing near to us as we draw near to you and you fulfill your promises and you encounter us day in and day out. And God, I pray this morning that, that as we open your word and as we allow it to speak life into us, I pray that we would remove any baggage or any barriers that would keep us from hearing your voice this morning. I pray that you would remove me from the equation but use me as an effective mouthpiece. I pray that you would help us to open our heads and to soften our hearts and be receptive to the truth that you have for us today. I pray that we would all leave this gathering and leave this morning encouraged, challenged, and changed. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. So I'm going to look at a passage in the book of Ephesians. And so the book of Ephesians is found in the New Testament of the Bible, and it was written by this dude named Paul. This dude, Paul, was a church-planting missionary in like the first century, right? He was like this, this guy who kept planting all these churches, and then he'd plant these churches, and then he'd go on and be a missionary somewhere else and plant another church, and then he'd start another church, and then he'd start another church. And during his journeys, he would write letters back to these churches instructing them on how to be cool with God, right? This is how you, you know, do this. This is how it works. And I'm sure he'd heard through the great mind different questions that people had and different ways that people were expressing their faith. And so he would respond to those in these letters, right? And so the book of Ephesians is his response to a church in the town of Ephesus. And the people that lived in Ephesus were known as the Ephesians, right? And so he writes them this letter. And in the second chapter, verse eight, it says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. 
That is a huge statement with some huge terms and theology in it. Huge. You know, it's one little, para- one little phrase, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, but there are two major components here. There's grace and there's faith. There's grace and there's faith. And these are two really, really heavy hitters. And so what I want to do for the next couple of minutes, I'm just going to break down both of these and see how they kind of play off each other and play together and kind of empower us to be in relationship with Jesus. And so grace is essentially this. It's unmerited favor. Grace is essentially unmerited favor, meaning it's like an undeserved reward, right? Or, or it's unearned compensation, if you will, right? Something you didn't work for, but they give it to you anyway, right? It's, it's when forgiveness is not deserved, but it's given anyway. It's love that's not warranted. It's loving the unlovable. It's this unmerited favor. And so when he says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, he's saying you've gotten this unmerited favor in order to be in relationship with God in order to be in relationship with Jesus, right? And so this is Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. To really get the full breath and picture of this, you gotta look at the verses before it and after it to kind of bring it some contextualization, right? And so in Ephesians chapter two, verses four through nine, where verse eight is kind of sandwiched right in there, I wanna look at that for a second and just kind of break it down. So it says this, starting in verse four of Ephesians chapter two. It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Now, I use this terminology all the time. Those of you who have been around are probably getting sick of it, but it's the truth. You ever seen the movie Wayne's World? If you haven't, I don't know if you're going to heaven. Just going to throw that out there, okay? In the movie Wayne's World, when Wayne and Garth, they meet Alice Cooper, right? What do they do? They fall to their knees, we're not worthy, we're scum, we suck, right? And they're just like pouring it out there and Alice is like, get up, you can get up, kiss my hand, right? I mean, it's, it's funny, it's comical, but that's kind of what it's like between us and God, right? And it says here, Paul's referencing Wayne's world. Did you know that? He is right here. He says, God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. We were scum, we're not worthy, we suck. And God was like, I'm gonna raise you up anyway. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive. And it says, it is by grace you have been saved. And so he's saying, you know, this happened not because you deserved it, not because you earned it, not because you're good enough. It's by grace, this unmerited favor. God had unmerited favor on you and he gave you life. And then it says, and God raised you up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And so it's not only did God rescue us, it's not like he pulled us out of the gutter and then left us there on the curb, right? Paul's saying he elevated you out of death and then he elevated you into relationship and fellowship with Jesus, with God. And so it's not just like, hey man, who saved you from that? Thanks Jesus, that was cool. Now I'm on the curb and I gotta figure this thing out. He's like, no, 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 no. He elevates us into relationship with Christ. And it says, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. There's that word again. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is, now here's the verse eight that we were looking at initially. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's this unmerited favor. He's saying, listen, listen, you were dead in your transgressions. God comes along and he gives you life. But not only does he give you life, he raises you up to where you can be in relationship with him. 
And it's nothing that you did. It's nothing that you earned. It's nothing that you said. You didn't wear the right thing. You didn't say the right thing. You didn't go to the right worship night at your church. He did it unmerited. He did it because he loves us, not because of anything that we did to deserve it. And so Ephesians chapter two, verse eight says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. So this grace idea is this unmerited favor. God just opens us up and says, here, 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 here. Well, do I need to? No, here, it's for you. I love you. Well, God, do I need? No, 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 no. You don't get it. Here. There's nothing you can do to earn this. Here. It's for you. And so he pours it out there. But then the second major component of this is faith. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And we talked a lot about faith last week. Chris shared about faith because we talked about, you know, God never said that. If you had more faith, he'd answer your prayers. It's like, eh, nope, God never said that. That's not true. And Chris looked at this idea of using faith as a currency. And he said, faith is not a currency. It's not, well, if I have a little more faith, I'll get a little more stuff. Or if I have a little more faith, God will do this for me. Or if I have a little more faith, God will answer that prayer. Or God will answer this prayer. That's not the way faith works. It's not a, a currency that we can say, okay, God, I have given you enough faith, enough of my spiritual currency. Now you can pour grace out onto me. That's not the line of theology that we buy into around here. That's not the way that this thing works. Faith is essentially trust. Faith is trust. And so faith is this key that opens the floodgate of God's grace and love and compassion and forgiveness and acceptance. He's sitting there saying, take this, take this, take this. And faith is the key to open that and to receive that. Does that make sense? And it's huge. I mean, and it's really that simple. It really is. And we try to overcomplicate it and we try to paint these grandiose pictures and theologies and, see, and scenes and we try to take this Arlo trek where we're gonna go through and we're gonna to prove ourselves and we're gonna fight pterodactyls and raptors and do all these things so we can get our paw print there and it's like, no, 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 no. Here's the deal. We will never be worthy, ever. We will never cross the threshold that we said, okay, bam, I've arrived, I've done it. I said 2,003,732 prayers. I'm in, right? That we will never, ever get there. Arlo's track, his little dinosaur, it will never end. There will never come a spot where you say, I'm good enough, I've done this, I've arrived. That's not the way it works. See, here's the big picture. Here's the big picture of all this thing. God is holy, right? I talk about this all the time. God is holy. He is light, perfect light. No darkness in him whatsoever. We're over here on the other side of the scale. We have a lot of darkness in us, right? We have a lot of shortcomings and failures and mistakes that happen all the time. Me, you, all of us, right? We are not perfect, white, holy. If you think you are, this is not the church for you. There's the doors, there's another set of double doors and there's the parking lot, right? Because that is not the case. We, we are, we are, we're scum, we suck, we're not worthy. We're, we're Wayne and Garth, right? And God is holy. So there, that creates a chasm because in this perfect light, there can be no darkness, and so we have all this darkness. In us, so how do we bridge the gap between these two? We have us who are these faulted, broken humanity, and we have this holy God. And we say, well, how does this work? And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here to the Ephesians. The only way that that works is through grace. 
The only way that that works is that this pure, perfect light is something that we can never attain ourselves. Says, you know what? I'm gonna send my son Jesus. And he's gonna cover that gap. He's gonna bridge that gap. He's gonna make it to where this perfect, holy God can hang out and be in relationship with this broken, faulted humanity. And so he sends his son Jesus to die on the cross, right? As this like sacrifice for us. That's why when we sing those songs, it's like, worthy is the lamb that was slain and all this stuff. It's like, oh, this is weird. Well, it's all imagery for what was happening in the first century for people to be cool with God, right? And so when Jesus dies and, 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 and spills his blood for us, right, in this sacrifice, ultimately now when God looks at us, when we say, Jesus, I accept that sacrifice, I believe, I trust in you. I place my faith in you. I accept that sacrifice you've made for me. Now, all of a sudden, when this perfect, holy God looks at a broken humanity, he doesn't see broken, screwed up Sam. He looks at me and sees Jesus. Do you see how that works? That's grace, because I don't deserve that. I don't deserve for when God looks down on me, when God looks at me, I don't deserve for him to see Jesus. I deserve for him to see a jerk. I deserve for him to see someone who messes up every single day, multiple times a day. That's what I deserve for him to see. But grace is that he sees Jesus and he elevates me into relationship with him. Not just out of the gutter onto the curb, but he elevates me into relationship with him. That is massive. That is huge. And see, grace is necessary because we can never self-justify. I can never justify myself to God. I can never get rid of all the darkness and be perfect, pure light and say, all right, God, we're cool. We're equals now. Let's hang out. I can never, ever, ever self-justify. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need the justification that Jesus gave us on the cross when he bridged that gap of a holy God and a crappy humanity and said, we're gonna make this thing work. And that's what grace is. And so some of you are sitting there saying, okay, Sam, whoa, whoa, whoa. So all you're saying is that I can just say that I have faith and then God like, throws up grace all over me and then I'm totally cool and I can do whatever I want to do, right? And I can live however I want to live. And I can. No, not exactly. I'm not saying that either because that's letting the pendulum swing to the other side, right? I, I say this a lot too. Grace is not an excuse to be a turd. That's my theological take on it. Grace is not ex- an excuse to be a really terrible person, right? Grace is just the ability to b- pick ourselves up when we mess up for the five millionth time and say, it's okay, I still love you. It's okay, we're in this together. It's okay, you can keep moving forward. That's what grace is. It's not a license to be a jerk. It's not a license to do whatever you want, whenever you want, whoever you want, none of that. It's not a license for that. But it's this this tool that God uses to say, yeah, you messed up, come on. Yeah, you messed up, come on. It bridges that chasm that's created by our sin. And in the book of James, James is writing to the Christ followers at large. He's writing to the 12 tribes and he's, he's just throwing out, it's almost like, you know how Taylor Swift does these like open letters to Apple Music and all this stuff? Essentially, that's kind of what James was. He's doing like an open letter to Christianity. He's like, this is what's going on. This is how it works. And so in James chapter two, he talks about this idea that faith without works is dead. You guys are familiar with this? comes out and he says, your faith without works is dead. If you're not producing anything with your life as a result of your faith, then your faith is not real. Whoa, back it up, Sam. You just talked about grace and you said, 
you can't work enough to achieve grace, but then James is over here saying, oh, but you gotta work and do stuff. Mm, see, I knew the Bible contradicted itself. It's all a load of crap. No, just back up a second here. Here's, here's what's so very, very, very important. It's crucial to not put the cart before the horse here. Works does not justify your faith, okay? Works, you can never work enough, you can never self-justify, right? We've already established that. But when we have trust in Jesus, and this gap, this gap begins to be closed by our relationship with Jesus. And he connects a, a broken humanity and a holy God. And the closer we get to God, the more our heart begins to form and fashion to his heart, right? And so as that happens, and as this relationship deepens and grows, you know what's birthed inside of us? A response. And you know what our response is? Works. Our response is, I've experienced something that's so powerful, that's so cataclysmic inside of me that I can't just contain it. I can't just say, oh yeah, I go to church on Sunday and experience an amazing God and then not think about it again until Saturday night. That's not how it goes. We become impregnated with this thing that we cannot let go of. And it just, it gives birth in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds and in our actions. And so it's not this idea that, oh, I'm just walking in grace, but I'm a totally terrible person, man. That's not it at all. It's this idea that God loves us so much, there's no way we can earn it. He loves us anyway, and he lifts us up into relationship with him. And as we become into deeper relationship with him and experience intimacy and covenant with him, then it begins to change us. It changes our mind, the way we think about things. It changes our heart and our responses, the way we respond to life. It changes the way we think, the way we act, everything we do, and it begins to produce life in us. Does that make sense? And so it's not this idea that like, oh yeah, man, I accept, I'm just walking in grace, man, just, you know, doing my thing, doing my thing. Works does not produce grace and works does not prove faith, but works are our natural response to faith and grace. And that's huge. You know, we talk about it all the time, how that we're a church and we're not defined by our borders and our boundaries. You know, we talk about how, you know, you, you, you got to fit this mold to be part of our community. You got to fit this belief system. You got to fit that. We don't say that. We say we put Jesus in the middle, right? We put Jesus in the center and we chase after him. It's the same concept that as you get closer to the center, as you get closer to Jesus, all the sin, all the junk falls away. But then you're not just an empty vessel and an empty person. All this new stuff begins to come to life and begins to manifest in our daily activities. Does that make sense? And so it's vitally important for us to wrap our heads around this concept that you gotta stop working for it because so many of us are just working and working and working and working and working. And I just wanna say, you ain't gotta go to work, 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 work. I think that's worked itself into like three sermons now. I, gotta, I need to find the Christian radio station on my dial, don't I? But it's the truth, man. You, ain't gotta, you don't gotta work, 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 work to make this thing happen. God's saying, dude, what are you doing? I'm whole, uh, here. It's here. All you got to do is trust in me. All you got to do, it's grace through faith. Grace through faith, not works. It's not about doing this and doing that and going on this journey to prove yourself and, and wearing the right thing and saying the right thing and reading the right thing and doing the right. That's not what it's about, man. It's grace and I'm holding it here for you, open, ready for you to take it. So unlock it. Trust in me. Lean in, like Chris was talking about last week. It's huge. And so, so many of us, though, in here, we have a hard time receiving God's grace. 
Many of us in here, we have a hard time receiving God's grace because we create these barriers and these obstacles based on our insecurities and shortcomings, right? We put up all these walls saying, well, I don't deserve it. I, God could never love someone like me. He doesn't know, you know, Sam, you don't know the, the, the deepest, darkest, whatever. I could, never, I could never be good enough that God would even want to be in a relationship with me. You know what? You're right. You're right. Let me confirm all of your insecurities. You're right. You're not good enough. You have been bad. Me too. All of us. You're absolutely right. But then some of us in here, we, we, we get it. We're like, yeah, man, I accept God's grace. He loves me. I am awesome, right? We're all about God's grace and accepting it. And, uh, but yet we have the hardest time ever reflecting that. It's all about grace for yourself, but then giving it to others? Uh, no, 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 no. The buck stops here. You know, God loves me, but he doesn't really love you. He just loves me. And so many of us have a hard time kind of processing and reflecting God's grace. There's this quote that I love by, by uh, Gordon McDonald. Uh, I call him Gordo. Uh, from the Denver Seminary. I'm just kidding. I don't call him Gordo. But if I knew him, I would. And it says this. The world can, almo- can do almost anything as well as or better than the church. That's a tough pill to swallow, but it's true. The world can do almost anything as well as or better than the church. You need not be a Christian to build houses or feed the hungry, or heal the sick. There's only one thing the world cannot do. It cannot offer grace. It can't reflect the grace that God has shown us. When we receive that grace and then we reflect that, that's special. That's powerful. And so my challenge for all of us this morning is to offer grace, is to live it and reflect it and give it. Let your life be defined by grace. You see, we're at different points in our faith journey. And so some of us in here, we need to work on receiving the grace of God. We need to stop running around like chickens with our heads cut off, trying to earn his love, trying to earn his forgiveness, trying to earn his, 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 his uh, uh, acceptance. We need to stop running around like crazy, trying to do this in and of ourselves. We need to chill, hit the pause button, and allow the grace of God to pour on us. We need to work on receiving the grace of God. We need to embrace his sacrifice because it's free and he's offering it to you and me and all of us. And he wants us. He's like, please, please, please. And it'll free you from this bondage of self-justification. When I saw that guy in shorts and sandals on stage, I was in this bondage of self-justification. I was in the marching orders of Jesus trying to make it happen myself. But when I saw that, it was like, whoa, whoa, wait a second, whoa. And it was a very freeing experience for me because your relationship with God and your involvement in your faith community (coughs) should be a freeing experience. It should be a blessing, not a burden. It should be something that gives you life, not sucks the life out of you. And if it's sucking the life out of you, you need a shift in perspective. And you need to to approach this thing in grace. And so some of us, we need to receive the grace of God. And then others of us in this room, we need to reflect the grace of God. We need to give it and live it. Because bitterness and unforgiveness and judgmentalism and all these things, they will absolutely destroy you. They will absolutely destroy you. They will eat you from the inside out. It's a very freeing, liberating thing when you give freedom when you give unmerited favor, when someone really pisses you off and you say, you know what? It's cool. It's cool. 
I'm going to live in grace. I'm going to have grace on that. It's a very liberating thing for you. You're not walking around in the bondage of being angry at that person for the next three weeks. You give it to God and you say, man, I'm, it's, I probably screwed up a lot too. I probably pissed off God a lot too. <laughs> you know? And it's accepting that and reflecting that. Because our relationship with God is not something that we can earn. And so if Leo wants to come on back up, I, I want to take just a few minutes this morning and I want us to kind of do business with God. We're going to start doing something a little different here um, in our Sunday mornings. We're going to sandwich the, the, the message in between two smaller worship sets because we feel like the things that we talk about, we're like, hey, you know, you need to do this. And you're like, yeah, you're right. I do need to do that. And then I pray and it's like, hi, where are we eating for lunch? You know, and so we don't really have any time to process sort of what we're thinking about what God might be doing in our hearts in response to his word. And so if you're in here this morning and you're having a hard time receiving the grace of God, I want you to just take a moment during these next, this next song and just kind of get with God and say, God, you know what? I get it, and, and I want it. You don't have to be eloquent of speech. You know, dear Holy Father, this is Samuel, your servant. God, dude, you heard him. Let's do this, right? Because he knows your heart. He knows what's going on inside of you. And so if you're in here this morning and you need to receive the grace of God, I want to encourage you. Receive the grace of God. Lean in. Place your trust in Jesus and allow him to elevate you, the relationship, the whole thing we were talking about. Accept that because you're never going to be good enough. Quit trying to self-justify. Allow the grace of God to cover you. And if you're in here this morning and you have experienced that, but you're a jerk and you're not reflecting the same grace that you've received, time to get real with yourselves. If you're a jerk, stop being a jerk. Allow the grace of God to not only flow in you, but to flow through you to others. Live it and give it. Reflect the grace of God to everyone else because it's unique to Christ followers. And it can have a huge impact and be so powerful in our own sphere of influence in the world around us. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for your letter to the Ephesians that rings true to us today. I thank you for Ephesians 2.8 that says grace by faith. God, this morning, if there are people in this room who are struggling with receiving and accepting your grace and accepting this concept and idea that you love us no matter what, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to wrap their arms around him, wrap their, wrap their arms around us and say, it's okay, I'm here. And I pray that we could experience the freedom and the joy passion that can be birthed by living and walking and breathing in your grace. God, I pray for those of us in here this morning who have received your grace, but are holding on to unforgiveness, are holding on to bitterness, are holding on to unacceptance. God, I pray that you would break those chains of bondage that are tying us up. It's not hurting the person we're unforgiving towards, it's hurting us. And so, God, I pray that you'd send your Holy Spirit to do work in us as we draw near to you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said.